Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the hosts of Some Like It, Scott. I'm Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Scott, today we'll be going through all of the Schmodown action across the four divisions this time uh, in April 2019. But first, how are you doing? You know, we're less than two weeks away from the Houston event, which we're going to be at our first live event uh, that we'll have been in attendance for. I mean, I... You know I'm very excited, and I'm sure you are too. Yeah, I'm. I'm very excited about you know the next few weeks. I'm going to be traveling a lot, both for work and for vacation, and that always gets me excited. Time's going to fly by really quick. Got a few movies that we're also going to be seeing as well. But in terms of the Schmodown, couldn't be more excited about May. Granted, at the time of recording, we've already watched the title match, which we're not going to talk about until next month's recording, which was really exciting to watch. Of course, Dan Merrill versus William Bibiani. But then, of course, the live event, getting to see. Andrew Guy and Ben Bateman duke it out in person. You know, I I have my own allegiances. I have my own shirt ready for the live event, but nothing's going to be more fun than that. Getting to see Ellis perform comedy as well as the whole, Mm -hmm. the whole crew that's going to be opening for him. It's just going to be a really fun time. Then of course, being back in Chattanooga for about a week or so on vacation, getting to uh, just relax and not think about work for a little bit. It's really exciting. Yeah. If any listeners are going to be at the Houston event, you know, come find us, come say hello. We're, uh, We'll be at the Mark Ellis, the second show, and then obviously at the Schmodown. I'm going to be wearing my Wake Forest hat as a tribute to Mr. Baby Carrots himself. So uh, if you if you recognize us and you listen to the podcast, you know, come say hey. But now, Scott, why don't we uh, just move into the discussion uh, for the action that happened in April uh, of 2019. And we'll start, as we usually do, with the month's live event, which was, of course, in Chicago at the Athenium Theater for Star Wars Celebration. Uh, we had two matches, a uh, team number one contender match between the odd couple, Jeff Snyder and Mark Andreco, and and they, they faced off against Who's Boss, Mark Riley, and Ben Bateman. Uh, and, of course, the main event uh, of the live event was the Star Wars title match between Alex Damon uh, and Joseph Scrimshaw, who was the winner of the uh, f- Fatal Five-Way uh, Star Wars match on the Friday prior to the live event. Uh, so first, why don't we talk about that Star Wars match, Scott? You know, a very well-contested match, as many of these Star Wars uh, title matches have been, uh, when, especially you know when when you have the big hitters involved. But once again, Alex Damon proves that absent Sam Witwer, there's probably not anyone who in this division who can really challenge him at this point. Yeah, I think we're we're almost to the point where we're, we're desensitized to how incredible Alex Damon yeah. is at, at trivia. I think that. I guess particularly Star Wars trivia, we just kind of take it for granted at this point that he'll beat whoever he comes up against even, uh, or at least I should say until Sam Witwer does make his triumphant return to the showdown whenever whenever that may be. I think it is a well-contested match. Joseph Scrimshaw is no chump at Star Wars trivia. He put up a really, really strong fight. And at the end of the day, Alex Damon is just on another level. It's why, you know, you chose him last year for Intergeekdom Star Wars Player of the Year because it's so easy. And he won. To... No, ex- exactly. You chose it. The The fans chose him as well. And I think it's it's to his credit because it's really easy to overlook what he's been able to accomplish just because there are so few Star Wars matches over the course of the season. And the drama of Intergeekdom is often quite high. But when you actually zoom out, you think about what he's been able to accomplish the reason you don't think about it too much is just because of how dominant he's been and how incredible he is at Star Wars trivia. And this match was no exception. Uh, you know, Joseph Scrimshaw, I think it's fair to say, did push him pretty far into this match. They had an incredibly competitive first few rounds. And then you then Alex Damon got a slight favor or a slight advantage going into the latter rounds. And he slammed the door shut. He didn't give Scrimshaw a chance to get back in the match. And that's just the kind of competitor that Alex Damon is. Yeah, and you know, I was secretly hoping during that uh, live event as we were watching it that Whitwer might come out and make it a three-way, uh, which I think would have been awesome because obviously he was in attendance at Star Wars Celebration. But I think with all of the stuff he does, you know, with his voice acting um, in, in various Star Wars uh, properties, I, you know, he obviously had a lot else going on, or else I know Christian and Mark would have had him there for the event. But I think 
I think we kind of knew how this was going to go, right? Uh, it, it was going to be a very competitive match and would probably come down to the last couple of questions. But ultimately, you know, Scrimshaw just wasn't going to be able to match up to uh, Damon's knowledge on two or three questions, and those would make the difference in the match. I think, you know, that's that's how Damon's matches with Ken have gone. You know, that, that three-way he won uh, at the very first live event or one of the first live events, um, he just shows that, Yes, his his breadth of knowledge is amazing, and it's just maybe a little bit more than some of these other admittedly really strong players. You know, I actually still haven't gone back and watched the five way match yet uh, that they uploaded to Collider, but I heard there were some other good performances uh, from some of the other contenders. But I think at this point, you know, it's really about whether we're going to get that Damon Whitworth match. I'm not sure whether there's anywhere else for the Star Wars division to go at this point. It feels like there's always that conversation of Alex Damon wins another title defense. All right, should we retire the league? But it seems like they are leaning into trying to revitalize this league with more talent. I mean, they had the five way that it was unfortunate that they weren't able to air live and they had to wait a week to to publish because I think that, that that would have gotten more views probably because I'll, I mean, I'll raise my hand and be honest. I didn't go back and watch that that five way that they had taped in the actual Star Wars Celebration convention because I'd seen the live event already and it, and it just felt like I didn't need to do that. Uh, although I'm sure if I'd gone back and watched it, it would have been an incredibly entertaining match. But if you can get a couple more of those matches happening in the studio or or broadcast live, of course, if, if that is the nature of it, I think that there's a chance that you could revitalize this league. But I think in order for this for, for new life to be breathed into this league, the truth is that Alex Damon is going to have to be toppled by someone that's not Sam Witwer because it feels like whenever that Witwer Damon match does happen, that's the culmination of the entire league. And so I'm just not sure where it is they can go from here. It sounds like they do have some more talent, but I don't know how local that talent is to Los Angeles and how feasible it is to be able to produce mm-hmm. matches, you know, on a, not not a regular basis even, but even like a once a month basis or a semi regular basis. And that's unfortunate uh, because I think that this Star Wars trivia is really entertaining and is really awe-inspiring in some ways i i just don't know if they're going to be able to revitalize it in that way or if it's even worth them trying yeah i i think that's a fair point and you know a division that doesn't need revitalizing at this point is the team's division uh which we've had some great matches in this year and we had another one uh at this live event with the odd couple taking on who's the boss scott in the build-up uh to this match uh, on our previous episode of champs lunch we both predicted that the odd couple would uh, would come out on top, uh, despite maybe being slight underdogs in this match. Uh, and it proved true. Uh, they did come out on top, and Snyder and Andreco just really seem to be firing on all cylinders at this point. Yeah, particularly Mark Andreco. He, he'd shaken, he's shaken off any cobwebs that might have been lingering from his exhaustion at the end of last season. And what we talked about on our very first episode of Champs Lunch, and also I think actually it might have been our Schmodown uh, 2018 in review episode about how Andreco by the end of the season just looked wiped. I mean, he was tired. I mean, he even admitted it himself mm-hmm. right at the, like after his last match about how tired and ready for a break he was. And we maybe still saw the lingering effects of that at the start of the season. But it's but as of the live event, as of you know a few weeks ago, he's shaken off those cobwebs. He fired on all cylinders. I can't remember if he got a perfect round one. He, I did, he did, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think he got a perfect round one, and that just speaks to the fact that he was back and ready to go at this live event. And so I think a, a and in Draco that's firing in all cylinders is a really, is, is always really entertaining. I love to see that. And I can't wait to see more of him moving forward for this year. And as for the odd couple in particular, you know, we'd already talked about how Snyder had really come back with a bang, uh, particularly with his free for all performance. And so I know we're going to talk about this match a little bit later on in the show, but his upcoming match against Mark Riley should be really interesting for that reason. And I'm intrigued to see what the odd couple will be able to do against the Shire Wolves. I still have the Shire Wolves as favorites in that match personally, but I'm, I'm very intrigued about what kind of fight, you know, former stable mate and Mark Hendrick is going to put up against Clark and Rachel. And then also Jeff Snyder. We know how ruthless he is in title matches and especially in the team's division. Yeah, I agree with you. Like at this point, with the Shire Wolves, I'm at the point where I'm never going to pick against them until they actually lose because they haven't proven that they are mortal, right? They haven't lost a match, uh, so they haven't proven uh, that they are even capable of losing a match. Uh, and, you know, they've, ha- they've had some tough opponents. Who's the boss? Critically acclaimed, yeah. I think, you know, maybe last in their last title match, we talked about how critically acclaimed might be able to give them a challenge. And the Shire Wolves won, I won't say easily, but they weren't 
incredibly troubled by critically acclaimed in that match. I, I guess I'm spoiling my prediction a little bit for later on when we do talk about predictions, but as well as the odd couple are playing right now, I just don't think that you can statistically you can pick against the Shire Wolves at this point, but would not be surprised if they did go down because the odd couple, again, are playing extremely well right now. Maybe I can save the, wrap this up for later in the show, but you just—it is still true that I'm never sure which Jeff Snyder is going to show up to a match. I'm, I'm starting to be convinced that it's the good—it's the good, or I should say, the side of Jeff Snyder that's good at movie trivia. But we can discuss that more later on in the show. Yeah, and you know, someone who maybe contributed to the sort of revitalization of Snyder and Andreco is their manager, Roxy Stryer, uh, who was involved in. Uh, a bit of kayfabe at the end of the match. I guess there was some discussion about whether it was actual kayfabe. Of course it was. But uh, it, it has been the subject of much discussion. It is known now as the slap uh, because she slapped her uh, ex-boyfriend, Ben Bateman, uh, on stage after you know he, he was talking his talk, as Ben Bateman is prone to do, even despite the loss. And Roxy came out firing it and slapped him. And uh, as a result... Uh, Christian has imposed a punishment on her. The result of the slap was that she was suspended for a month, including the ti- the, the odd couple Shirewolves title match. But the stipulation being if Snyder beats Mark Riley, she can come to that title match. And if he loses, then yeah, my bad. I had trouble match. remembering that. But uh, Scott, what was your take on all of this that went down? I know, you know, that they haven't really played into the fact in the past that Roxy and Ben you know, have had a relationship. This is sort of the first we've we've really seen uh, Christian uh, really play into that. And, you know, he has talked about on some other shows um, about how he, of course, got their permission and they were very much on board with it uh, and, and very much uh, excited to sort of bring that element into the uh, into the kayfabe of, of everything. But what was your take on this? And, you know, just bringing sort of their personal lives into the theatrics of the show. Yeah, I did joke. I don't think this is actually true or not, but I did. I did maybe joke that it was like the the longest con of kayfabe of all time, where they actually broke up in real life for, for to create kayfabe, <laughs> and really they're still secretly together. That's that is not. It does not seem like that is the no. case. That would be next level <laughs> kayfabe. Talk about method acting actually, right there. <laughs> exactly. I think it's interesting. It, it shows that they're at a point in their post relationship uh, that they can. That they can they can do this, and that's always I think from on a personal level that's always good to see that you know they've been able to stay in a good enough place where they can bring this into the schmodown and, and kind of riff on dynamics that may had may have started out on a, you know somewhere more personal. But the fact that they're in that st- stage of their uh, relationship uh, or post breakup is probably a good thing. And then as for entertainment level, I think it's hilarious. I mean, I think Roxy is is someone who is a really entertaining figure in the schmodown i think and the fact that she's getting to manage the odd couple rather than the league is something that serves allows her to take a a more front and center stage in the schmodown which is which is a good thing because she is very entertaining and and, you know it's why she's one of the central figures in collider live is because people really enjoy listening to her uh, interacting with her at least in that way and having her in the schmodown and having more of her in the schmodown is definitely a positive thing i think I'm I'm gonna love to see where this goes if it goes any further, right? Like we we know the tension is there, but w- was this the culmination of this line of kayfabe, or will there be something more in the future? We'll have to see. But I'm I'm entertained and I'm intrigued where it will go. Yeah, I, you know, being the Collider Live fan as well that I am, I'm I'm definitely glad to see Roxy get an elevated role this year in the Schmodown. And there's been some talk about Scott. I don't I don't think I've actually mentioned this to you, but how she may play in the manager bowl. However, they would be putting some t- TV categories on the wheel uh, because Roxy has like vehemently said that she will never play in the movie Trivia Showdown just because she would be so bad at it. But Christian is considering putting TV categories on the wheel for the manager ball, which is going to be at the Collider Collision, just so Roxy will play in it. Kind of hope that Christian doesn't, you know, bend the categories just to include her in the manager's bowl. As much as I think it would be awesome if she were in the manager's bowl and could compete in the manager's bowl. I don't really think I want Christian to put TV categories just to appeal to that because I'd much rather just see the managers duke it out in movie trivia. You know what I mean? It, you don't have to be good at movie trivia to be a manager. And, and clearly Roxy is a good manager. And so I, I'm honestly just fine with her being a manager in the background. If she wants to compete, you know, in the manager bowl and have it be movie trivia. Right. I don't think we need to bend the categories like that. I don't know if you feel differently, but that's kind of my instant reactions to that. 
Well, yeah, I, I disagree with the principle of putting TV categories on the wheel. However, I just do think it would be entertaining to see the mm-hmm. dynamic between Roxy, Tom, Jay, and then, you know, maybe Ken and or Grace at the table, uh, I think w- would be entertaining to see. But I agree with you to the extent that if they're, if this match is going to have actual stakes to it, which, I mean, I imagine it will, like the last manager bowl had actual stakes to it, uh, then mm-hmm. they don't need to be bending the rules because it could have, uh, you know, a huge impact, a huge ripple effect on, you know, even a title match down the line. Uh, so I, I don't totally agree. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that they should do that uh, if there's going to be considerable stakes for the manageable. No, totally agree. I think if it's pure exhibition, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I'm totally happy to see them do whatever they want with pure exhibition matches. But if there's going to be a choose your own number one contender match on the line, which is what it was for the last manager bowl, I, I would I would probably feel uncomfortable throwing some TV show categories on the wheel. And then if Roxy were to end up winning, I'd be like, wow, I really don't know mm-hmm. about about how I feel about that. Yeah. And I guess the ideal scenario would just be if they were somehow able to talk Roxy into just doing a playing in a movie trivia match. But I'm just not sure that's going to happen based on how adamant she has been in the past. But we'll see. Yeah, it would be fun. But I also totally hear where she's coming from, like not feeling comfortable doing movie trivia and not wanting to embarrass herself. I totally understand that. And if that's the case, then just don't have her in the manager's bowl. And I think that that's okay. And I don't think anyone's going to hold that against her. Or I should say, I imagine people will hold that against her, but they shouldn't because that's shitty. Yeah, well, (laughs) uh, knowing Collider Life, some of the Collider Life quote unquote fans, as I do, I I imagine there will be people who will hold it against her, but uh, the majority of people will not. The actual true fans will not. But with that, let's move on to the singles division, Scott. One big match that we saw in this division in April, right at the start of the month, was between uh, Janine, the machine, and Stacey Howard, a former Viper Squad member uh, herself. Stacey now, of course, uh, has teamed up with Mike Kalinowski and the Corruption Gang this match, obviously, grudge match between two former stablemates and Janine, uh, the I guess you would say the less established player um, in the Schmodown at this point, was able to come out on top per my prediction, not per your prediction. So I have to dunk on you a little bit there because I, I believe I did call this one. I think you went with Stacy, mm-hmm. but uh, a great win for Janine. You know, we've talked in the past about how she has just been a little bit unable to get over the hump. Uh, against in some of her matches against you know more prominent Schmodown contenders, I guess the the uh, biggest example being that triple threat match at the Collision, but you know also in her uh, match against Chance at the first live event this year, the New York event. But she was able to do it this time, and Stacy, another disappointing outing for her. Um, you know, I have to think that the people over at Corruption are hoping that whoever this new partner she's been hyping up. Uh, is is really going to uh, you know kickstart Stacy's uh, career back because she's in a little bit of a lull at this point. Yeah, I think I think saying that she's in a lull is putting it lightly. I can't even remember the last time she had a good performance, and unless she does have something really good happen with her in the in teams with her new partner, I think that we are getting to the point where she's becoming almost irrelevant in the in the Schmodown. You. you she, you know, whatever magic she had created in some of her earlier days. I, I mean, everyone always points to the upset of Mark Ellis in the Ultimate Schmodown Singles Tournament from back from was it 2017 or was it 2016? 2017. Yeah, 2017. And you know, since then she doesn't have a big ticket win really. Yes, she beat Makuga last year. I think that was her last win. Yeah, and she's really struggled in singles and, you know, the three way against, you know, Janine, who she faced in this match and Mark and Draco, and then pretty much every other match since then. Granted, she had the tough time of being faced against the, is it the founding fathers in teams in the anarchy tournament? And then against, was it against Dan Merle? I think it was. Yeah. So she had, you know, she had some really tough matchups at the end of last year and it'll give her that, but she's not winning these sort of quote unquote, mid-tier matches that she needs to be winning to keep being given the opportunity to to play in bigger matches and be more relevant in the singles league so unless something happens here in the teams with this new partner you know they have a match slated on the schedule already we don't know but unless something happens there i'm worried that stacy howard is just going to slowly drift you know into the background and fade away in this moment which would be really disappointing because i think she is a, a good character an entertaining person to have in the league she just needs to win some matches 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Stacy, if you're listening, uh, I know you are. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you listen to every single episode. Uh, we don't want to be too hard on you. And I just want to say happy birthday because our birthday is coming up in in a few days, uh, in 11 days. So uh, we'll be celebrating our birthday together right now. Yeah. And, and just to touch more briefly on the match, because uh, we talked a lot about Stacy here, who, you know, unfortunately did suffer mm-hmm. a TKO against Janine. But, you know, Janine, Janine did her business. I think that, you know, the round one was a little bit of a tough affair. I think they ended up 4-4 you know, through round one. So it was a very average round one for, for, I mean, even, I guess you could say below average round one for both these competitors, but you know, obviously a huge difference was made when Janine went a perfect four for four for eight points in round two. Showing rom-coms, up. Yeah. Yeah. In rom-coms, it was one of her strengths. Uh, you know, you always have to put a cat, a masterist next to that when someone gets, you know, their best ca- or one of their best categories. And then, you know, Stacy struggled with generic comedies as opposed to rom-coms. And you saw her, her difficulties there. Yes. After the match, she said, oh, you know, if I'd gotten those rom-com questions, I could have gone four for four for eight points too. But that's not the way the cookie crumbled in that match. And, you know, she took a seven-point deficit into round three, not even forcing Janine to answer a round three question, which is where she struggled in the past. So I think they're, you know, even with a strong imposing victory over Stacy, I think there still are some question marks around Janine because I do want to talk about her. It was a great performance and I, I can't fault her for getting a TKO, of course. But I think all the question marks that we did have going into this match for Janine haven't necessarily been answered by this match. Of course, this match is going to boost her confidence and get her to a better place to, and, and use and She can use it as a platform to get a more competitive match against someone, you know, like, a, like a, on the level of a chance at, at this point. So, so she can prove herself again at that level. It's just, uh, there, there may be still, I'm just, I'm just saying that to, to make a point about how some of the question marks we had about Janine, weren't necessarily answered by this match. Yeah, I think that's fair. And she is going to get a chance to answer them, I think, uh, this month. Not a match that has been uh, definitively scheduled yet, but we do know that she's going to be facing Mike Kalinowski. Um, So that's going to be a great chance for her to get that sort of signature win that maybe she hasn't quite gotten yet. But uh, she's definitely, with the free-for-all and with this win, and even with her performance in that New York Live event, uh, she's definitely establishing herself Uh, and I think could really be someone to watch if she gets that win over Mike. Another match that we had was a stipulation match uh, between JTE and John Harris, uh, sort of deciding the fate of Lon Harris and the Harris brothers going forward. Uh, You know, John, if he had won, he would have uh, kept the Harris brothers together. Uh, But because JTE was able to come on top, the evil geniuses, were reinstated. You know, JTE obviously had to step away uh, in the Ultimate Showdown last year because of his injuries, but they're back together now. And uh, Jonathan Harris is now acting as the manager uh, for the Evil Geniuses. Uh, Scott, I think we both kind of thought that JTE would come out on top in this match, but it was definitely a lot closer than we expected. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the the one recurring thought I had in my head as I watched this match was, "Wow, this is a lot closer than I would have expected." John forced him deep. You know, he JT only had a six, five lead after round one. And then they both kind of struggled in round two as well, which I thought was interesting, maybe showing a little bit of rust from JTE there. But then in, in round three, although John did force JTE to answer his two and his three in a kind of exchanging two pointers and three pointers there, uh, he then, you know, he failed to, to hit that five point question, which was ultimately what was needed to force JTE to do the same. And so you got to win. So I, you know, got to give, got to give John his props. I thought that it would be an absolute blowout, but it was probably a good way to, you know, shake off the ring rust, so to speak for JTE. You know, we'd seen him at the free for all. We've seen him in an exhibition match, but he hadn't been in a competitive singles match yet since, you know, going out with his uh, base with his accident last year. And I think one of the things that will endure the longest from this match is some of the good zingers that John Harris got in on JTE related to that accident. Uh, I I was cracking up pretty hard at multiple points of this match because of uh, John's very acute humor. Yeah, and so that's, you know, that's a reason why, even though he did lose this match, I'm glad that he will be remaining in the Schmodown because uh, he's definitely good for a few laughs, uh, you know, anytime he uh, takes part in a match. And I think especially the dynamic between uh, him, JTE, and Lon uh, is very sort of uh, fish out of water. And, and I, you know, have enjoyed seeing that. And, uh, you know, obviously we had an Evil Geniuses match, which we'll talk about in just a few minutes, uh, where we got to see that on display. So, uh, yeah, yeah. All, all things considered, 
probably the best result for Lon uh, in that he will get to, you know, have a stronger partner in JTE, but also his brother will still be around as manager. Yeah, I really hope that they evolve that chemistry between, you know, JTE and and John and Lon, the the trio there, because we are going to talk about the Evil Geniuses match and maybe we can expand on this a little bit more then. But I find that dynamic to be kind of annoying uh, right now. It was fun while it lasted in It was fun while it lasted in the head-to-head when JTE and and John, you know, you had the tease of that stipulation match and then the stipulation match. I really enjoyed it then. But now I just find it really annoying and kind of childish. Maybe if they can evolve that over time a little bit, I I can be into it. But I just, I kind of dread it. (laughs) I I was dreading it by the end of the Evil Geniuses teams match, but maybe we can talk about it more then. Yeah, sure. Uh, But before we do that... uh we did have uh, probably the biggest singles match of the month was the triple threat match between uh, John Roca, Ethan Irwin, and William the Beast Bibiani uh, for that number one contender spot to face Dan Merle. And William Beast Bibiani, the free-for-all in MVP, uh, was able to come out on top in a competitive match. You know, Ethan was the one who really challenged him, I think, as we kind of thought would be the case. But Bibbs, you know, he he's... Uh, it tends to be a hot and cold player, but I think he's become a lot more consistent uh, recently. And this just showed that, you know, there are few who can measure up to his pure trivia knowledge in the singles league. Yeah, I think we both picked Ethan to to win the match, but I think neither of us will be surprised that Bibbs pulled it out because he, you know, he's been showing how dominant he can be when he gets going. You know, his round one is so impressive always. He has so few weaknesses to exploit in round two. And then, you know, if, if he has a lead in round three, it's hard to bet against him since he has pretty much at this point uh, quelled any maybe any fear is that he isn't able to really you know do the business in round three and, and slam the door shut, so to speak. It's an, now I think it's another thing when he's playing from behind in round three. I think that's when maybe the, the nerves come into play a little bit. But when he has a lead, he's so hard to unseat. And I think that's exactly what we saw because Ethan, the machine that he is, was able to to push him deep in it. But, you know, he he'd seeded a little bit of an advantage just because of luck of the wheel uh, in round two. And Bibiani uh, used that to his advantage and, and never, never seeded it back to anyone else. And he's the one that moved on to, to play Dan Merle. Yeah. And that match, of course, did come out this past week. But because it was a uh, technically a May match, we will wait to talk about it on the uh, next champs lunch, but Bibbs moving on to that title match to face Dan Merle. Uh, last thing to talk about in the singles division uh, is it, it sort of had implications in both the singles and team division. So first of all, we had a teams match between the founding fathers and the Wildberries, uh, the Mildberries, who then transformed into the Wildberries about two thirds of the way through the match. Uh, but Josh Makuga uh, was given a reprimand for treating the belt with a little less respect. Uh, than the powers that be would have liked uh, en route to the Wildberries. Uh, you know, I, it has to be said, their expected loss against the Founding Fathers. But mm-hmm. because, uh, so Makuga was given a two-month ban, I believe it was. Uh, however, Sam Levine gave him the opportunity to face off against primetime Paulo Yama in a singles match uh, and either remove that ban or uh, extend it by a month. And uh, Scott, there was a little bit of Makuga magic on display, particularly in the second round. Uh, But unfortunately, this time, Oyama was much too strong uh, in the end for the wild man. And unfortunately, it's going to be a little while before we see the wild man again in the uh, league, which I am disappointed about because, as you know, he is one of my favorites, if not my favorite competitor. Yeah, it was disappointing to see him. Uh, <laughs> well, as funny as it was in the moment it, to see him do what he did with the belt, you obviously instantly know afterwards, like, ooh, that's probably not going to sit well with people. And, uh, and once he got the stipulation chance, of course, we had the hope that he would be able to overcome that and and beat out Paulo Yama. But I think Paulo Yama is showing that he's the real deal. Yes, he. I think he is flying under the radar a little bit, maybe because of a of a relatively poor free for all showing. I think that if he'd, you know, had such a good, uh, he had such a good first match against the kid, Brendan Meyer. If he'd done something in the free for all, if he'd made a little bit more noise than he did, I think he would have been less under the radar. I think that, yes, it's, it's totally fair to say that he was the favorite. I don't think any of us thought that Makuga was the favorite in this match, 
but I think he showed in this match how strong he is because, yes, I think I mentioned to you that there were sparks of the old Makuga magic, but what Makuga really needed was a bonfire in order yeah. to overcome Paulo Yama because I think he's the real deal. I, I don't know if he'll be the next Ethan or anything like that, but this guy is really good. He doesn't, you know, he has a lot of strengths. It's not clear yet what his weaknesses are. And I think he's going to be tough to beat even for some of the biggest players in the league. Yeah. And, you know, we will get, it, it seems like we're getting closer based on the post-match interviews to that match between him and Chance Ellison uh, to sort of determine who is the king of the players that come from the fan leagues. I guess you got to throw uh, Kevin Smets in there too, but he, you know, is obviously more of an inner geekdom player, but I think that should be a very good match and something, a match that will have a lot of fireworks uh, when it eventually does go down. Yeah. My only, th- my only, my only disappointment with that being his next match is that I think it used to be in the Schmodown. You get three, you know, you get three wins in a row and you're up for a number one contenders match. But if Paul Yama gets this third win in a row and he's been very impressive, I don't think beating Chance Ellison gets you a number one contenders match. And so I, I wish that maybe he's getting a little bit stiffer competition and puts off that rivalry with Chance, you know, a little bit longer for, for some other, from some other time. Because given this, if this is his next matchup, I think he's going to have to get a fourth or even a fifth win before he really is in line for a number one contender spot. And that's kind of, you know, just from taking Paul's perspective, I mean, I'm not his biggest fan from a character wise. His character hasn't yet resonated with me, although I respect how clearly good he, he is at movie trivia. I I find that disappointing uh, for him because he's just not getting set up well to be in immediate contention for a number one contender spot, because I think he's showing that he maybe deserves one, especially if he continues this, these performances. We'll see what actually does happen, whether he, you know, the three matches, three wins would be enough or, you know, if he does need to win more matches. But, you know, either way, I think we are going to see him in the spotlight before the end of the year getting mm-hmm. a number one contender match, maybe even a title match. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely see what you're saying. But maybe who knows? Maybe he'll get a number one contender spot after, you know, three three wins and then get humbled by uh, uh, John Roca or someone like that. But. We'll see. He, he has, it's, just a, it's just a weird difficulty spike, yeah. I'd say, in, in that, that match. And, and that's why I think that is more my disappointment. I, I want to see him play someone, you know, in the someone in like the six to ten range in his next match. Not Chance, who I believe is just in, you know, around 15 at this point. Yeah, very fair point. And with that, let's segue into the team's division. Scott, we've talked a lot about a couple of the, the team's matches. Uh, you know, Odd Couple, who's the boss. Founding Fathers, Wildberries. One match which we haven't discussed yet is the Evil Geniuses. Uh, you know, who we talked about just a few minutes ago, JTE, Lon Harris, uh, took on Superhero News, uh, Sean Gerber and Sabina Graves, and uh, they KO'd them. This match was a landslide victory. Yeah, unfortunately, not overly surprising. And it was all but done when in the second round, when they, you know, when they respawn and got 80s, you know, the 80s is not the strength of either Sean or Sabina. And that's a real disappointment. I love both of them. They're amicable separation after the match was great and now i just i I mean you know how much i love sean gerber huge sean gerber fan we'll talk about him more later on in the show but i really hope that he's able to get a partner right a partner another partner that can you know compliment him well and this is exactly what they were saying when they talked about how they were gonna you know go their separate ways from teams and that was because they are two mirror images of each other they're two alike in their movie trivia knowledge they need someone who in round two can get those 80s questions. Uh, he needs someone like that and still has a good general knowledge. Yes, their round one probably also needs improvement generally. They, they probably just need to sharpen their pencils a little bit across the board. But what Sean and what Sabina too, to be fair, not to just talk about Sean, what they both need is someone to complement their strengths a little bit better. And I definitely like both of them enough that I hope that they're able to find partners. You know, maybe one of them can team up with Brendan Meyer or something like that who might be able to complement their skills a little bit better. Maybe Diamond Dave could be someone that on the table for one of them as well. I think that both of the, those people could complement their strength or their strengths better and also their weaknesses as well. And so I'm hoping to see both of them again really soon in the showdown. And for me personally, particularly Sean Gerber. You know, I think Sean Gerber just needs to team up with Scott Mance again because that went so well the first time uh, that I think that's really the only uh, path for him to go at this point. But yeah, I agree with you. I think they did the right thing. Uh, splitting up, even though, you know, they have at least one win under their belt and they are both, you know, individually solid players. But I think they recognize that their uh, their strengths are too similar and their weaknesses are too similar and they don't complement each other well enough as a team. So hopefully we'll see more of both of them in the league 
as you said, with a different partner. Uh, and speaking of partner drama, uh, Scott, we have been hyped for over a month uh, about who Stacey Howard's partner is going to be. You know, it seems like every other episode we're getting a new scene uh, about, you know, usually involving Grace uh, going to someone and talking about, you know, Stacey and her new partner trying to get them a match and everything. And they do have a match now. We're going to get that match on Monday, and the partner will be revealed at that point. They're going to face off against late to the party, you know, the very first sort of fans who ever made it in the league. Um, and they, you know, who do have that that upset win against critically acclaimed under their belt. Scott, do you have any ideas at this point who this partner of Stacy's could be? Because I think the way that they've hyped this up, it seems like it's going to be someone pretty big. Honestly, I have no idea. Short of an existing partnership breaking up, I just don't have any clear sense of who this could be. No, I mean, I, I kind of feel like perhaps it's going to be somebody outside the Schmodown. But like I said, I, I, it seems it's got to be someone big, you would think, because of the way that they've hyped this up. And, you know, the Schmodown, typically when they hype something up like this, they deliver ultimately. I mean, you can look back at Brianne's partner last year, and that was kind of disappointing. It was someone that we didn't really know in Brian Bishop, and they sort of uh, flamed out pretty quickly in that title match. But I think that... They didn't hype uh, that up, though, did they? Not really. Right. That's what I was That's what I was going to say. They did not hype that up to the degree that they have hyped this up with, you know, cutscene after cutscene, including, you know, one with, with Chance, I believe, was looking at who the partner was and like sort of freaking out about, oh, this is who your partner is. So... Yeah, I mean, thinking about the existing Schmodown competitors, I really don't know because I, I don't know in terms of most of the teams right now seem to be in a pretty stable place. I can't see, you know, like Mark Riley or something, you know, defecting to go to, to corruption, uh, you know, despite who's the boss's loss. So I, I don't know among the existing teams, among the heavy hitters who are in the team division where I can see like a separation happening. And then, uh, you know, among the available players who are not on a team, I think, you know, with Ethan now teaming up with Janine, there's really not an obvious, like, huge heavy hitter uh, in the pool at this point. Unless, you know, maybe somehow they pulled, like, Mark Ellis or something back in. I don't think that would happen, but it could be funny if it did. I mean, that would be that would be awesome. I would yeah. be so down for that, but I just don't see that happening at all. So it's hard for me to get behind that. I think that we, we've thrown, we've tossed around so many different ideas, you know, just, off, you know, off air, of course, and n- none of them really stick for me. I just can't think of anything that seems feasible. Well, so at this point, you know, even if I don't watch the match tomorrow, I just want to dive in and figure out who it is and then watch the match, you know, at my own convenience. Before we move on, though, because you ha- we have skipped a team match, and I feel a little bad for it, but Inky and the Brain versus the movie guys right. did happen April 1st. Yeah, that's true. I, I guess we did kind of gloss over that one. Inky and the Brain got their first win. Um, <laughs> I guess kind of a surprise, um, considering I, I don't know that I would consider these to be two of the stronger players in the league, uh, Devon and Rachel. And coming in against guys who are dubbed themselves the movie guys, I don't think that the movie guys really gave a good account of themselves uh, on this first time out. But, uh, you know, it was a close match. It was an entertaining match. I think Devon is pretty funny. Uh, and, you know, some of some of the lines he was cracking during the Will Smith category were, were entertaining. But, you know, I don't know if this team is going to be a real threat going forward. You know, I don't know either. But I think that if, if we could get Paul of the movie guys into singles league. I think he could be a True. real competitor Paul was very good. because he was very good. He, I don't know if Andy had an off day or if Paul is just generally uh, better at trivia, but Paul really carried the team. I felt like through portions of, of the match. And then in, in round one, they had a 13 to eight lead going into round two, largely because Paul notched a perfect round. And I, I think that that included the bonus question too. So that meant that Andy only got four out of four out of eight there. So you can see the kind of difference in knowledge uh, with with Paul getting nine, nine of those 13 points in the first round. Totally. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. I, I guess it did slip my mind, Paul's performance. But yeah, maybe that's going to be one of those teams where uh, that's very lopsided. You know, we've talked about teams like that in the past. And, and you know, maybe this is another example. If they even end up playing another match, who knows? Um, yeah, true. But Scott, with that, let's move on uh, to the inner geekdom division. We really didn't have any competitive matches in this uh, division this month. It's been a quiet month for inner geekdom, but it'll pick back up. We do have um, a title match coming soon. But I guess the one one match which you throw in the inner geekdom realm is the exhibition match for the month, which is which was MCU themed in honor of the release of Avengers Endgame. And Scott. 
Personally, I thought this was one of the best exhibition matches that they have put out. Uh, all five competitors, you had Rachel Cushing, Mike Kalinowski, Jay Washington, Kevin Smets, and Sean Gerber. All, all five of them put in outstanding performances uh, and were scoring in the high 20s and even low 30s. Uh, and it was Sean Gerber uh, who, you know, Eric Zipper picked him to win the match. Uh, and he, he dubbed himself the Alex Damon of the MCU. And I think he proved it here with a perfect game. Uh, to outlast some very tough competition, uh, including Rachel Cushing, who had a tough go of it in the second round and might have given him more of a challenge yeah. uh, otherwise. But still, I, I can't imagine there was any there were any questions in the in the tank that Gerber would not have answered correctly. That who said it was brutal for Rachel. And unfortunately, I think that, yeah, you know, you, you see round two go a different, you know, she got a different category. I guess to be fair, she she did opponent's choice. So it's not like she spun. Who said it? But it's such a tough category. But that that can't take anything away from the absolute perfect, you know, no asterisk whatsoever round for Sean Gerber. He got every question in round one, including the bonus, answered all, was it five or six? I can't remember how many round two questions they were getting. But, you know, all his questions in round two, got every single steal opportunity. Granted, some of the those you know, who said it ones were multiple choice. I understand that some some of the points he stole were multiple choice, but that's the best you can do. That's getting every one of them right. And then round three went, you know, got all ten points. He was absolutely perfect, an incredible performance. I mentioned we were talking about Sean Gerber more a little bit later on in the show, and this is it now. I mean, I, I think this is probably second only to the Jurassic World, or sorry, the yeah, the Jurassic Park franchise Iron Man match that we got last year for the July exhibition. Or I don't know if it was July. Actually, I don't remember when it was. But at some point last year, we got that we got that exhibition match, and you know this is this match is only second to that. And part of that is because of just how amazing everyone did, particularly Sean Gerber. I mean, goodness, if only they had an MCU only league in the show. Clearly, you know the Alex Damon of MCU trivia is putting it lightly because I don't even know if has Damon ever thrown an absolutely perfect match. I don't think so. So th- this is absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, uh, he he put in an incredible performance, uh, as did you know all of the competitors. Like I said, I, I might even give this one the edge over the Jurassic Park just because I love I lo- I enjoy the MCU movies more, um, mm-hmm. obviously. So the the Jurassic Park trivia didn't have me super invested, but the competitors and the closeness of the match, uh, you know, did get me on board with that one. But uh, in terms of the overall quality of the play, this one was really excellent from all five competitors. So a fun exhibition match. And if you're not on the Patreon to where you can get those exhibition matches, then, you know, what are you doing? Um, Definitely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Scott, before we close today's episode of Chance Lunch, let's make some predictions. We'll start with that Houston Live event that we are going to be in attendance for at the World World Gym Arena, Booker G, Booker T's Wrestling Gym, the first time the Schmodown has ever been played in a wrestling gym. Uh, you know, I, I, Double Toasted isn't a team that has a lot of experience. They only have played one match and won one match. So we'll focus mainly on the main event here with our prediction. Uh, so who are who is going to come out on top in the Action Army Civil War uh, between Ben Bateman and Andrew Guy? You know, Scott, I'm not gonna not gonna hold my cards too close to my chest here. I am Team Bateman all the way, and I think that. I think that Ben's going to take this one. I think he needs he needs a victory. He needs to notch a victory, get a little bit of his confidence back, and I think a live event crowd will do just that for him. It's going to be an amazing atmosphere, I'm sure, and I'm really hoping that Ben can pull this one out. And you know, based on the two the two's histories with each other in you know, not not just with each other, but also in singles, it wouldn't surprise me if Andrew Guy is able to pull the upset. I mean, he did it. He did it last year against Dan Merle and Mark Riley. He had the luxury of those being the first matches back for for both of those two competitors, I believe. And so I I don't think he's going to get the same kind of opportunity with Ben. He's going to be sharper, even if he hasn't won a match in a while. And his confidence may be a little bit lower coming off of the Chicago live event. But I'm really hoping here that Ben can pull it out. But it's going to be a great match either way. And if you know Andrew Guy was able to pull it out, I would be a little bit surprised. But you know what? We've seen it before. Yeah, Ben does really need this win because he's at like one of the lowest points in his showdown career. I, I think you could say after you know losing that uh, team match, getting slapped by Roxy, and then having to you know endure that video of Andrew Guy taunting him, uh, he really does need this win to sort of get him back on track. Like we know that uh, he can be and he should be um, with the knowledge that he has. And it's tough because he ha- he ha- it's not like he's played a bad match this year, right? Yeah. Like- he, he did fine in the free-for-all. Of course, he didn't stand out. But 
all his other matches have been teams this year. And, you know, he did his best trying to pull the the dead weight that sometimes can be Tom Dagnino in the team's match against the family. And he and Riley both had good enough matches against against, good enough rounds and matches against the odd couple. But the odd couple were just on another level. So it's weird to say. And that's why I also think Ben will pull it out because he hasn't been performing poorly. He just his confidence might be a little bit lower now because he hasn't been able to get a win. But I think that, you know, being just a singles match against Andrew Guy, of course, you know, like they say in any rivalry match on almost any sport, form goes out the window. But I think that the fact that he has been answering questions and he has been having good performances and just not getting the results, I think that that will elevate him past Andrew Guy. But, you know, anything can happen. Yeah, I'm picking Ben as well. But, you know, I, I agree. I think you can't discount the psychological effect that this is going to have uh, with, you know, Andrew Guy, who is so... I mean, he, he he will be firing on all cylinders in front of this live crowd, taunting and mocking Ben uh, and, you know, playing playing the heel as he does. And I think you can't discount what role that's going to play. Maybe he could get in Ben's head. But I think just based on trivia knowledge, I'm going to give the slight edge to Ben. Yeah. And Ben will know what's coming, too. I, I think yeah. that. Guy regularly gets into, into competitors' heads. I think he did it against both Dan and Riley in those matches last year that he won. But the the problem is Ben knows exactly what's coming. He's been on the, that side of the table with Andrew before. He's he's watched all those matches, and so I'm not saying that Andrew will be unable to get into Ben's head, but I think that Ben will be ready for it. And I'm hoping that that he'll he can put up a little bit of a barrier for that. Yeah, I think that is a good point. If anyone's going to know what to get, what you're going to get with the guy, it's Ben Bateman, his former partner. So let's talk about the inner geekdom match that's coming up now. Uh, I believe next week at the the latter part of next week, uh, Kevin Smets, he's two and zero. You know he's on on pace for rookie of the year so far, uh, but he's going to get his biggest challenge so far in the inner geekdom division because he's going to be going up against the former inner geekdom champion Hector Navarro, who we haven't seen uh, since the tur- tournament last year when he was upset. Um, Scott, who do you like in this match? Yeah, I like Kevin Smets. I think Navarro, we haven't seen him very much. I think the last time we saw him was in the Inner Geekdom tournament, tournament against, you know, Adam Lavick, who was able to beat his, I don't know if I can call him a stablemate, but they both are from Hyper RPG. But anyway, I think that that's the last time we've seen him. And, you know, maybe he'll come back with a vengeance in this match and, and be able to take take on Smets. But Smets just seems like he, you know, he's on another level. He's so sharp. He's hardly missing any questions at this point and it's going to be really impressive or I should say he has been really impressive and I would and I don't think that his level will drop at all in this match you will see when he gets on the biggest stage against a Mike and against or against a Rachel that might be another level for him to compete on and maybe we'll see a little a few chinks in the armor there but right now I don't think we're at that level yet I think he's gonna I think he's gonna smash to, to use his moniker I think he I think he's gonna smash Navarro I don't know if it's gonna be a, a KO or a TKO I think Navarro has the ability and the chops to, to push him to push him deep potentially if he has been studying and he is ready. You know, we know, we, like I said, we haven't seen him in almost a year, but I, I think I can only really see this match going one way. And that is to Kevin Smith's as to the rookie of the year comment. I think right now I probably have Paulo Yama higher on him for than rookie of the year, but the performances that Kevin Smith has been putting in and the margins by which he's been winning is very, very impressive. Yeah, you know, again, he's kind of like the Chirewolves at this point. Until Smets loses a match, until he shows some sign of weakness, I'm not going to pick against him. Uh, but I do think, you know, this is obviously— Really? You pick him over Rachel? Uh, I don't know. That's that's a good point. I, I'd have to think long and hard about it. We'll see. I think we will get to see his quality in this match against Hector Navarro because it, it is going to be his biggest challenge. He may end up having to answer, uh, you know— a bunch of uh, third round questions, which he really hasn't had to do uh, in his matches against Jay Washington and David Moore. He hasn't at all. Not even really. He, he, he has not answered the third round. Question well, there, there you go. So uh, I think I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he will have to answer a third round question in this match. Um, probably not that long of a limb, but I think, you know, in doing that, we will get to see uh, how he holds up uh, under the light of a more challenging match. And then based on that, you know, maybe see whether he's he's ready for uh, Rachel and Mike, because I think, you know, if he wins this match, one of them is going to be the, I mean, I guess Mike, because he's not the champion at this point. Mike might be his next match, realistically. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we we know that the title match is happening in July at, San, you know, at the weekend of San Diego Comic-Con in San Diego. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are able to fit in two more matches. So maybe mm-hmm. he plays Lavic 
next and and then if he wins plays mike i'm not sure i'm not sure what the schedule's like but that's still over 2 months away i'd be surprised if if, if we don't get something before comic con yeah um, that's a, that's or a good I point get two more matches so i think that we might wait a little bit longer to see mike uh against smets but uh well we'll see it's hard to say it, it wouldn't surprise me either way i i guess is what i should say but i think adam will probably certainly want a shot at Smets because that's going to be his best chance at getting back in the ring against Mike to get a number one contenders match. Yeah, I agree. I think if there is another match in there, he's the natural, you know, person to pick with Mark Donica sort of out of the picture now. And before we move on, I, just on this point, like, do we think that after Comic-Con, there's going to be an intergeekdom tournament like last year? I don't know. It seemed like there was a good response to it last year. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, if we did see, see something like that. You know, because Anarchy went on for a long time last year. You know, are, are they planning to do full team tournaments? Uh, and like maybe maybe this year they would do more of a full Ultimate Showdown singles uh, because they didn't mm-hmm. really do that last year. It was only eight people plus the, you know, the short gauntlet that they did. I think if they want to do yep. a more uh, fleshed out uh, team tournament and singles tournament, may, they may not be able to fit in that Intergeekdom tournament. But it did seem well. It was well received last year, and I think they still have the competitors to do it. So, yeah, I, I, my response to that would be, why don't we swap the sixteen, you know, the sixteen person get inner geekdom tournament and make it the eight an eight person or you know a, a twelve or I guess it would be a ten person format for a gauntlet. If we're, if we're saying the schedules are basically the same, then that would allow the singles tournament to expand to sixteen, which I, I I personally would prefer. I don't need. I don't know if we need to have you know six new competitors jump into the inner geekdom league via like with a 16 person tournament. But I think that it, we could suffice with like a 10 person, uh, like, la- like the single tournament was last year, or just an eight person straight up, uh, a draw. That's something that I would prefer. Cause I really liked that inner geekdom tournament last year. I think it was the moment last year where I was like, Oh, this season's really becoming great when, when you got the inner geekdom tournament. Cause I, I think that just really fed into the, the tone of the rest of the rest of season five. And it was a really, really strong end of the year. Yeah, I enjoyed it too, but I'm with you. I had forgotten that it was a full 16 person tournament. So I think I, I agree. I don't think they should do that again. It cuts out a full eight matches if, if you just drop. Yeah. That. So I think that's a big, that's a big difference. Yeah, And you know, a lot of those matches involving the new competitors, you know, if you take Mara out of the, the equation, weren't the greatest matches and, you know, people didn't exactly give a good account of themselves in some of those matches. So maybe, you know, limit it to here are the people who, uh, you know, have won a match or something in the past. I think that uh, might be a good way to go. Um, Okay. Team mat, team title match that's coming up. Uh, Odd couple versus the Shire Wolves. We don't have an exact date on this yet, but we do know it's going to be this month because of the whole Roxy situation. And, you know, we kind of showed our hands a little bit on this one, but do you have anything more to say about maybe why you're taking the Shire Wolves in this one? You know, I just think it's it's so hard to bet against a team that's 6-0. and They are 6-0 at this point, right? Two title defenses. Yeah. 6-0. and uh, they, They've shown no real sign of weakness. You know, I, I really thought that Critically Acclaimed could do it. I still picked the Shire Wolves last time, but I thought if someone was going to prove that the Shire Wolves had chinks in their armor and could be beaten. I really thought it was going to be critically acclaimed. Again, it's so hard to to bet against uh, bet against them. But if Mark Andreco brings brings his game like he did at the Chicago Live event, that'll be spectacular. And we know that uh, Jeff Snyder is spectacular in these teams of in these teams matches. You know, a member of the Patriots who still hold that you know most title defenses, longest win streak, et cetera, et cetera that the Shirewolves are gunning for at this point. But f- for me, I just, I can't pick against them. They're so strong. They know they, their, their general knowledge is so vast and they have such few weaknesses and they are able to cover for each other. It's, it really takes some, a good speed round, you know, maybe a little bit of luck in the betting round, because even when they get weaknesses on, in round two uh, for the wheel round, they're able to grind out very respectable points in those rounds. You know, we saw it. I don't know if it was in their last title match or the one before, but they really grinded out a tough round two. And so it's just so hard to see it going any other way than that. That being said, you know, if the right Jeff Snyder shows up and, you know, he doesn't, you know, doesn't psych himself out if they get a bad wheel round and and find themselves in a big hole. Because one of the things that we thought last year that was so remarkable about the who's the boss match is that they were able to come back from such a big deficit early on. Right. If I'm remembering correctly. Mm hmm. 
yeah, and you know, if Jeff Snyder finds himself in that position, I mean, he's thrown in the towel. So <laughs> it, it, it's going to be important that they're able to hang with the Shire Wolves early for them to have a chance. But I do think the Shire Wolves are going to pull it out. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I won't say too much because I've already said a lot, but I think that whether Roxy is able to manage them for this match could play a, a significant role because it does seem like under her tutelage, they have uh, performed a lot better and that she's been able to get the best out of both of these guys uh, over the course of this season so far. So I think if she's not there in their corner, uh, psychologically, it, it could have an effect on, you know, whether they're able to stay with Shirewolves. And I agree that I think Snyder hasn't responded well to adversity in the past. So if they happen to get down, uh, it could be disastrous for them. All right. Uh, last match to predict, Scott. Janine versus Mike Kalinowski. We talked about this match. Janine with a chance to get uh, a signature win. Do you think she does it or uh, will the killer claim another victim? I think the killer is going to really want this win. He's been a little bit silent on all fronts this year. We, we've seen him a couple times, but not too many, given how frequently we were seeing him last season. And I think that in the background, we know how dedicated he is. Yes, he's going to be preparing for that eventual match with Kevin Smets that you know feels inevitable at this point. But we know how sharp he still is in teams. And it's that team's knowledge, taking it into singles that he has. And he's going to be really sharp for whenever this match happens. I'm going with Mike. I think that he's going to do it. It might be a close match, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Mike is just in the zone and on it on that match. And, you know, even maybe even gets to TKO her. Uh, but we'll see. I think the match will probably be a little bit closer than that. But I think Mike's going to really want it. And I think he's going to have really prepared for it. And so that's why I'm, I'm picking the killer. I'm going to go the other way. You know, I think Janine did not let me down last time when I picked her against Stacy, And I'm going to go with her again. I think she's going to pull off the slight upset here. You know, it's been a while since we've seen Mike Kalinowski in the singles division. And I think his attentions are going to be focused elsewhere, as you said, both on corruption uh, and, you know, what's going on with faction and his team and in particular getting them to you know a number one contender spot potentially soon and of course the inner geekdom division which seems to be his number one priority always um and you know that match with smets coming up i, I you know i feel i feel like his head's going to be elsewhere whereas janine seems to be uh firmly focused on singles at this point uh we, we still don't even really know when she and ethan are going to get a match together so uh, yeah. i'm going to go Seems like ethan's been kind of busy this year Yeah, I think that probably has a lot to do with it, but um, I'm going to go with Janine. All right, uh, Scott, before we go, I just have one last question for you. What the heck is going on with Sam Levine? You know, if they're if they're doing all these teases and not going to bring him back in some spectacular fashion, then I think that it's just mean. (laughs) I think it's just mean for them to be doing that. And so it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, some people have said, oh, maybe it's Levine who's going to partner with Stacy. And I have entertained that idea. I just don't think like Sam Levine's return to the league is not going to be in teams. I think Drew McQueen's head would freaking explode <laughs> if he returned to teams in under a year from, you know, calling it quits and, and, you know, giving up the belt with Drew after they'd won it and retained it against the Patriots. I think that would be insane. And so the absurdity of that leads me to think that he's probably not going to be Stacy's partner. You know, as for whether or not he returns in a singles capacity, there's obviously puts a huge question mark around the commissionership. So the fact that he's commissioner is what, you know, gives me a little bit of hesitation that he'd return to the singles league. But I don't know, Scott, do you see this differently? No, I think you've laid out the case against it pretty well. I think, you know, his commissioner position one, uh, the fact that, it seems unlikely he would make his return in teams and not only, you know, that he would make his return in team, but that he would go heel and team up with Stacy Howard just doesn't seem right. Uh, that, that yeah, t- he's been the ultimate baby face. That, that's how he would choose to make his return. And then lastly, you know, yeah, like you said, he hasn't been out of the league that long. And, he, you know, we had that whole special episode, you know, where, which was just him announcing that he was stepping down and seemed very sincere about it. So I'd be surprised if he comes back this soon. I think you're right. If he does come back, it will probably be to challenge Dan, maybe more towards the end of the season. But we'll see. I, I kind of hope it's not him. Yeah, same. All right. Well, Scott, that should just about do it for this episode of Champs Lunch uh, from the host of Some Like It, Scott. And if you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to please check out uh, our other uh, podcast, Some Like It, Scott, right here in the same feed where you found this podcast. Uh, We review movies every single week. 
except for this week, which when we uh, did an MCU retrospective, which will be dropping this week, and you can check out. Uh, but our, our in-game episode is up there, so by all means, go check out some of the other stuff we have on this feed. Uh, and like I said at the start of the show, come say hi to us uh, at the Houston Live event if you see us. Uh, we're really going to be excited to be there and looking forward to what the event has to offer. Uh, you know, If you want to support our show, please check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash pods. But uh, if you choose not to support us, that's fine too. We'd still love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe uh, on iTunes. Do all of that good stuff. And we will be back next month uh, with a new episode recapping all of the Schmodown action for the wonderful month of May. But until then, I'm Scott Harvey for Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Champs lunch. (laughs) 